0: Hi, and welcome back to Devils in the Details. A lot has happened since our last episode. United have played six, you heard that right, six fixtures in the intervening weeks, winning four, drawing one, and losing one. However, both matches within which points were dropped were nothing short of disastrous. A historic 7-0 drubbing at Anfield in the league left the side laid low in early March, followed by a scoreless draw at home to bottom of the table, Southampton. While the Red Devils have managed to progress in both the Europa League and the FA Cup, there are problems rearing their ugly heads. With that ominous intro out of the way, Aaron, how have you been?
1: Yeah, I've been good. Um I feel like first we need an explanation as to why we've been absent, and I think we have a pretty good one. We've been to we've both been to a new United bar in the last couple of weeks, and we met for the first time in person. So both from a devil's in the details lens and from a life lens, I've been pretty good. And despite the losses, I don't think there's anything extremely worrying for United at this stage of the rebuild. A lot of interesting topics that we'll get into today, but nothing that has me worried for the future, more than I was before.
0: Yeah, I think I agree for the most part. I agree for the most part. So yeah, let's get into it then. Yeah, okay, so I think we can agree. The performances have not been that good since... I think I would say since the, the second leg against Barcelona, right? Would you agree with that sort of inflection point?
1: Yeah, I definitely would.
0: Yeah, so I think... I think with that as an inflection point, the first match that you have to talk about is the Newcastle United League fi- League Cup final. We've we've actually spoken about this uh, match uh, since it happened. We we it preceded our most recent episode. At the time, we wrote it up to, you know, it's a cup final. You're not necessarily going to play well. It really just matters that you you get it over the line. With the benefit of hindsight, do you still look at it that way?
1: Kind of. I, I think it's also important that. We looked at it in the context of United played a good team. Newcastle are currently fifth in the Premier League. They are in the race for top four, and they've had one of the, one of the highest presses in the Premier League. Extremely athletic side. I think they're difficult to deal with, and they present a lot of challenges, um, especially ones that United have struggled with over the course of the season. So I wasn't particularly surprised to see them struggle a little bit in that game. I still think they were the deserving winners. Now, I guess you can look at it and say they have followed it up with equally worrying performances against inferior opposition, which I guess that makes it more worrying. I don't think they were particularly strong in that Southampton game even before Casemiro got sent off. Um, I think we were both yelling at the screen during the Fulham game because... A lot of the things that were going on were just ridiculous. And before the sending off, United probably deserved to lose that game. Which, even though Fulham are pretty high in the table, they're not a particularly strong side. I, I think they're a mid-table side at best.
0: Yeah, I think I agree. Yeah, I think I agree. The Newcastle match, it's it's a cup final. I'm not really going I'm not interested in, in bringing that into this equation. That takes you to the West Ham match in the FA Cup. To me, that was sort of whatever. It was a cup match. I I don't... You rotate in cup matches. They're kind of weird because the opposition also often rotates heavily. I'm not going to make too much of that. That brings you to the Liverpool match. The 7-0. We're going to devote a whole episode to the 7-0 in the coming weeks. Maybe that excites some of you. I'm sure for most of you it sounds as terrible as it sounds to me but we're, we're gonna do it for now what I'll say is the 7-0 was obviously a bad performance I mean you we lost 7-0 there's no papering over that but I also think it could have gone very differently had we put away one of our chances in the first half and I don't think it was I don't think it by any stretch of the imagination it was a, a performance that merited losing by that by a historic margin I think we played significantly worse against City and against Brighton and against Brentford in the first half of the season. And if I really worked at it, I could probably come up with a couple other performances that I thought were more dissatisfactory.
1: Yeah, Um, and it's also against, again, you're playing a team that I thought played really well on the day. And even more than played really well, put their chances away at a ridiculous rate. And it felt like, yeah, I think
0: that's the key thing. Yeah, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, pretty much every shot on target went in. They had eight shots on target, scored seven goals. I thought multiple were saveable. I thought multiple were just unsavable finishes that, you know, you don't expect even Liverpool players to produce, given the chances they had. Um,
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people don't want to hear that, right? Like,
1: Well, you don't, right? When your team loses 7-0, you want to get really mad about it. And we'll get into a lot about... You know, firstly, the fact that United definitely fell apart, but they didn't start the game a broken team. They went into the half down 1-0 from a goal in the 43rd minute. There were 40 minutes of this game that were... I mean, you could argue Liverpool had the better of it, but they were played roughly 50-50. And when you play 40 minutes of a game 50-50, you don't really expect for it to end 7-0.
0: Yeah. I I think the other thing about the things getting out of hand in the second half, is some of the bounces went comically against United. Uh, so I don't just mean the finishing. Finishing, right, it's a skill. You put up 3xG, you, you could score seven goals, whatever. I think United were really unlucky to give up the, the volume of chances that they did. Some of the, the, the loose balls strayed in, in just comical fashion. You know, you you had one instance where one of them just finds Salah like, to, directly between United's two centre-backs. There's not a lot you can do about that. And obviously that doesn't mean United would have won the match had the ball rolled more kindly for them, but I think it could have easily been you know, a 2-0 a, a or a 3-1 and we kind of just move on. We say, well, we weren't ready for that. We were away to Anfield. It's you know, ten months into a project, less whatever, but instead it was seven 0 and we everybody wanted to lose their heads um, i'm
1: not gonna I'm not gonna say you know on another day United could have won this match because that would be a disservice to the mistakes that they made in that performance. But what I will say is you know there are outcomes of that match where United win there are United had multiple big chances in the first forty or so minutes where. If they had gone in, like the Bruno one just glanced the post, if that had gone in, suddenly it's a different game. Suddenly you're playing a different way. Suddenly the other team has different incentives. This became a game very quickly where United had to score and essentially were unable to play out of Liverpool's press, and then they continued playing themselves into situations that were not um not favorable for them and then made mistakes so this is a disappointing performance that compounded into a historic defeat not a historically bad performance like last year Liverpool beat United 5-0 and 4-0 i think the 5-0 was way i feel both were way like. worse both than were this. way worse the man city 2-0 the man city 4-1 last season those were all so much worse that I think the opposition gave up in the second half. And I, and I don't think, if you watch those games as well, I don't think there would be a real debate as to which performance was worse. Like, I actually think it was pretty clearly the ones last
0: year. Yeah, I, I no doubt. I think you don't even need to go that far back, though. I think we've had worse performances this season. I do not think that 7-0 was the United's worst, worst performance this season. Beyond that not that that's not that relevant who really cares what our worst performance this season was specifically in the liverpool match i think the two things that are concerning number 1 we could not play out of their press right that's that at a certain point we're going to have to be able to do this or we're going to have to have some kind of workaround that that's reliable not just like oh we're going to play the ball over the top and hope
1: I'll let you I'll let you get on to number 2, but I'm going to be a little bit hotter with this take. You Sure. Okay. You 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 need to be able to play out of a press. There is no solution that currently exists in football that is as effective as being able to play out of a press the way the top teams do. So either you're going to invent a new method to play out of the back or you're just going to have to get better at this.
0: Yeah. I I agree with an asterisk, but I'm not sure the asterisk really matters, so I'll go to number two. Number two is clearly pe- so a couple of players lost their composure in the second half when things were getting out of hand, and I still think it was un- unlucky how bad it got, and honestly, I kind of get why they lost their composure, because it was so unlucky and, and so embarrassing, <laughs> And and the embarrassment wasn't even really their fault. It wasn't like they had, you know gone and just given up the ghost um however I do think it's I don't get I don't really care who the captain is but I don't think it's good that our best player was like throwing a tantrum on screen I i don't think that that's good optically I don't think you just want those like your best players to maintain their composure and like that's you know what that's the thing about Bruno like he feels the game very you know strongly and and that's a in some ways a, a strength, but man, was that a hard watch?
1: Yeah, I agree it was a hard watch. um I think basically my only point of contention here would be that I think there are many legendary players in teams that have won dozens of trophies or, or tons of trophies and they had a similarly hot head um and I think in extreme situations that plays out and I also think that Bruno he definitely got emotional right and he and you could definitely have like an emotionally too he definitely got emotional and went too far but I think he also sees the sort of calling for fouls and pestering the ref as a part of his role in the team and as a part of how he plays the game and a part of how the game is played and I think the difficult part is when you conflate that with your um, emotions of what is right and wrong to campaign for and to fight for on the pitch and that's what you saw but I also think in many cases it's one of those you know people always say if this player plays for your team you love them Because they get away with stuff that wins you games. But if they play for another team, you hate them because they get away with stuff that allows the other team to beat you. So I'm personally not a big fan of on pitch antics. I think you have to call for, I think you have to campaign for decisions. I think you have to fight the fight. But I also think there's a point at which it just becomes annoying and, like you said, difficult to watch. And I think that's what this was.
0: I care less about the complaining to the refs, and I care more about like the sulking and the the seeming lack of effort at certain points later on in the match.
1: Yeah, uh, maybe and, that's and, true. And, and
0: and the loss of the loss of composure and decision making in particular. Um, that's what bothers me. I don't really care. I agree with everything you just said about complaining to referees. I don't care. Complain to referees all you want, whatever. But I do want to. I do want to see United's best players playing to the final whistle no matter how bad it gets. And, you know, that's a tall, tall task because, you know what, I'm a I'm a sore loser myself, so I get it. But, like, it concerns me. It concerns me. I agree this is sort of an edge case. I don't think we're going to see this happen ever again, hopefully. Um, but it was still a bad look. Um... That's how I put it.
1: Can't disagree with that. I, I feel like this might have been our 7-nil Liverpool episode.
0: Yeah, perhaps. We'll see. I, I still think there's I'm gonna guess we'll 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 do a poll on the on the Twitter account and you guys can vote whether you're convinced by what we said here or whether you want us to go through it minute by minute. Um because we can do that. Uh, I'll do it. I uh, maybe it'll be cathartic. <laughs> Um. okay so Liverpool we're past that for now uh, immediately we kind of bounced back right uh, we sort of pelt Batiste in in that second half Um, wasn't like a great performance but again I thought it was fine like gave up a couple of chances it could have been cleaner did you catch this one
1: no I, I didn't catch the Batiste yeah. game.
0: okay well I think we can leave it with that like there was some really nice play uh, to at the end to score the four goals. Um, before that, it was a bit stale. It wasn't a great performance. But it was a Europa League match that we won 4-1. I, I don't think there's really great uh, analysis points here. Moving on, the Southampton no-no. I think we have a lot to talk about here. Uh, what, what were your impressions of this match?
1: Yeah, I didn't love it. I mean, I thought the effort to get a point after going down to 10 men was pretty good. But in general, I thought United just, again, struggled with the team that my first impression watching the game, and I only watched it once was, uh, was the fact that United were losing the ball every three or four passes. And I think the discussion we had just now kind of was trying to ascertain whether those ball losses were coming from bad decisions in moments where United thought they could get forward and were more hasty than they should have been, or trying to play out of a team's press. Southampton traditionally play a high press. So trying to play out of that and uh, struggling to particularly getting the ball into midfield from defense which is an issue United have had against Southampton, Southampton in the past. Um, I don't really know. To me, it seemed like a bit of both, but I think you had a different opinion on that.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think United had trouble getting the ball into midfield in this match. I think the real issue was specifically Casemiro and Bruno addictively playing the ball over the top every time they had a chance to to hit a runner. And you know what? It, it paid dividends. United actually created... Got behind Southampton's uh back line at least three times in that first half and created, I should say, at least three times in the first 20 minutes. Um, created some pretty big chances. But there were a lot of instances where it just wasn't necessary, where it would have made more sense to slow the match down, gain some more control, and that would have been better. However, I will say, on the whole, I actually think before Casemiro gets sent off, it's a fine performance. With the caveat being that we're playing way too fast. And that's why there weren't that many, you know, uh, long spells of possession for United. And part of why there weren't so many chances. I also think the technical execution when speeding up the match was really crappy. But that's sort of a part of the game. And maybe that's where fatigue starts to play into this. Where there hasn't been a lot of rotation. Bruno and Casemiro have both played a ton of minutes. However, Casemiro did get suspended for a while, so it's not like he's had a really um really arduous last few months. Beyond that, I thought out of possession we were good. I thought Southampton really didn't have much before the red. I I don't I, this this match doesn't worry me that much. The only thing that worries it worries me is something that we've talked about before and that's why does every midfielder we have want to pump the ball over the top? And I'm starting to think that this maybe isn't even a, a personal issue a, or a personnel issue. Both apply here. I think this might be an instruction and I think this might have to do some to some extent with the fact that we don't break down blocks that well and that slowing the match down ultimately means we're going to have to confront low blocks and I... I wonder if if this is, you know, an, an attempt tactically to avoid that, saying, you know what, if if you are confident in your ability to play a ball and you think the ball is on, play it, even if it means we we have less control, because we are quite good out of possession now. Like, Southampton really, obviously they're bottom of the table, so the bar is not high, but had trouble creating before Casemiro got sent off, and... If you can just not give up anything and then transition over and over and over again, you will probably win the match. I think Casemiro doesn't get sent off. We probably win this match. It's still not good. Like we can do better, but I maybe we can't do better until we have a you know an elite striker. Maybe maybe that's what it is. Um, I could be convinced by that argument. I'm not sure I believe it myself.
1: The the thing with Southampton is they're they're kind of just an odd team. Um, Last In the last few seasons, they they had Ralph Hassenhudel, who obviously plays the really aggressive pressing system. I think they like to commit a lot of fouls. A lot of their fouls, I think, result from their press being broken as well. So you often have these games that are just long stretches of the ball going back and forth between the teams and your team struggling to play out of the back. But now I think they've let their squad quality slip a bit, I think. Um, Hasenhutl's obviously been sacked and they've slipped down the table to the point where I think this is a team you want to be able to dominate. Whether it's instruction to play the ball fast or not, I don't really know. I think what I'm getting at is, you know, the opportunity to transition in a match like this might be higher than in a match against, say, Wolves, um, where... They play specifically not to give you transition looks, but I also think the fact that Southampton have slipped as a team means that this is a good opportunity to show you can kind of dominate them and, and play on the front foot. I also wonder the extent to which sort of the midfield personnel in this match affected it. Um, Bruno is playing as the deeper eight on the left, and then Sancho is playing at 10, which to me at least it seemed like it had a big effect on United's decision making you know like maybe one reason you see it as a lot of balls were going from really deep to in behind is because the two deepest midfielders for United were both the type of player who's going to try and launch the ball in behind whereas typically you have Casemiro and Sabitzer or Ericsson or even Fred who are less likely to make these extremely ambitious Low percentage balls um, over the top, and so yeah. I, I guess Sorry. it's not me saying it's not instruction. It's just reasons why it might not be, because yeah. I don't really, I don't really know. I think maybe we'll find out when the team is better whether this is an instruction. Will you know if Casemiro is suddenly completing ninety five percent of his passes? Then that might be an answer. But I think in general, I don't think it's. Unfair to suggest that it might also be the tendencies of the players. Like, these are players who have done this their entire careers.
0: Yeah. So. I don't disagree with that. Uh, I think it probably is player tendency. I just think I'm less convinced. I'm, I'm not 100% certain in this match it was. I'll add two things. A lot of people, uh, we've gotten a couple questions when we asked for questions on our Twitter handle. Saying, at what point do United switch from a 4-2-3-1 to a 4-3-3? Or should, should United switch from a 4-2-3-1 to a 4-3-3? United played a 4-3-3 in this match. Uh, Casimir was a single pivot. Sancho and Bruno were eights beside him. Uh, out of possession, if you look at the shape, 100%. Um, so, I'm not convinced that it's really... That United are strictly playing one or the other. Um, I often feel that it's pretty fluid even within given matches where we line up nominally in a, a 4231 one uh, I don't really think it matters that much I don't the, the, in practice there's really very little difference I'll say that much obviously in certain situations it matters more and less but good managers good coaches at like a high level if you speak to them they do not talk about these monolithic formations like this is what this this like this is the this is how we play. Like they talk about situations, and situations get dealt with far more fluidly than like four three three versus four two three one. Obviously, you know you're still going to hear like certain coaches say we defended a four four two block, and that's true. But I think as fans, if you want to be you know a smart fan thinking about the game, you, you got to get away from that a little bit. Um, and I mean that in the least condescending way possible because I also use those terms, but I just don't think it's that interesting
1: there's there's a really interesting comment from Rene March um, on Twitter once i I don't know I think it was say, after say he was for those who Rene March um, I'm not sure what he's doing right now. I think he might still be at Leeds i don't I don't know he's not anymore he he's Leeds. not a, he's not at Leeds anymore um, He was the assistant manager to Marco Rose at Dortmund. He was the assistant manager to Jesse Marsh at Leeds. And he also was a big football blogger in the Twitter Spielverlog space about, I don't know, somewhere between five and ten years ago. Um, and there was a lot of conversation about a past network. I can't remember the team in question, but essentially the point of his comment was, often we try to ascribe formation, formational tendencies to teams in possession when the way teams shape in possession is usually as a result of how they want to create space against the opposition. And usually traditional formational ideas such as four, three, three or four, two, three, one refer to what the team does in a settled defensive shape. Yep. Because of that, I think we also often ascribe formations wrong. Like I think a lot of teams, if you are going to ascribe a formation to a team based on what they do out of possession, I think more teams play four four two than we assert. I think more yep. teams play like
0: City play a four four two if that's how you want to do it. City play, yeah, Austin play exactly. a 4 play four
1: four two. Right. And I bet if you asked Pep, he would say, Yeah, I play four four two really often. Um I think four four two is like a crucial defensive shape in the game because it gives you XYZ. Um Going back to the original discussion, I think. My point is, firstly, that we overrate the differences between 4-2-3-1 and 4-3-3 in particular, even among formations. They're not particularly different formations. Number two, if we're going to distinguish between 4-2-3-1 and 4-3-3, I think the main point of distinction is that it's about the involvement of the second deepest and the most advanced midfielders in build up. So in United's 4-2-3-1, and the reason why I think we see it as a 4-2-3-1, is that Ericsson for most of the season, or Fred recently in Sabitzer a little bit, is more involved in the build-up next to Casemiro than Bruno is. And if you want to make it a 4-3-3, I think we saw this a little bit early under Rangnick before everything went terrible, and... What you saw was Pogba and Bruno both dropping into build-up at different points in time, and that makes it look more like a flat 4-3-3. Um, the problem with that is you need all three of your midfielders to be press-resistant. So if you look at top teams that play 4-3-3, it's because all three of their midfielders are being involved in the build-up. A good example is... Or, or, or rather, both of their eights are being involved in the build-up. So a good example is Real Madrid, when they play Casemiro, Cruz, and Modric, that was a 4-3-3 because Cruz and Modric both got involved in the build-up. When Manchester City play 4-3-3, it's because Kevin De Bruyne often drops deep, but so does Bernardo Silva or Kai one. Sometimes Rodri gets involved in the build-up. United aren't going to be playing a 4-3-3 with the current personnel because it's antithetical to Bruno Strings. And I remember having a conversation about this on the timeline because... It was about how, you know, maybe Bruno's inability to play in build-up and his suitability to being as close to goal as possible makes him a little bit difficult to work around as a midfielder, which I think is true, but I don't necessarily think that has to be at the expense of United. I think it just means that you're looking at more regimented roles from what you're getting from your midfielders, because Bruno's obviously still really valuable. Yeah, so, I agree with that. I think... All, all of that is... Sorry, yeah. Just, just to bring that all back, all of that is to say, I don't really think the distinction between 4-2-3-1 and 4-3-3 matters that much, but I think you saw some reasons, going back to our original discussion, why a 4-3-3 might not work with this team in the Southampton match.
0: Yeah. I will say, uh, I, I think we're... Uh, yes. I think we disagree a little bit on how well we played in the Southampton match. I actually, I really do think we were fine, and I, th- I, I have no issue with the shape we had in midfield. We were actually like quite good out of possession with Sancho and Bruno as the eights, which like I think a lot of you know Twitter pundits would be like, ha ha ha, uh, Casemiro doing all the transition defending, and it's like that's just not how pressing works. It's not like I don't like talking about midfield balance and, like, transition defense as, like, oh, these players are not good defensive players, therefore the team will be porous defensively. Have you seen the midfield combinations that City put out? They they don't just do that because they have lots of the ball. Like, they can defend transitions with, like, bizarre, you know, Gundogan, Silva, and De Bruyne as your your midfield three. That's insane if you look at it from, like, a, a player qualities perspective. Not how it works, right? Anyway, I digress. That has nothing to do with United. I had two points. One of them was the midfield shape. The other one was this. Do you remember the Sheffield United side that went down? Yep, quite Chris wilder. you know, they were they went out sad. like they were, you know what I mean? they were they were deep, deep, deep buried a twentieth halfway of the season, it was basically over. The reason that side, one of the reasons that side was so bad is they didn't play a low block and they also didn't really press from the front. So all you had to do was just clip a ball over the top and you'd score. And that's actually how United beat up on them in one of their matches that season. I recall uh, a certain goal where Pogba clipped a ball first time over their bizarrely uh, shallow block. For, I think, Bruno, it might have been Rashford or Martial, I don't recall anymore, and and they score. I bring that up because I think this Southampton side presses more from the front, but has similar vulnerabilities. And so I I slightly disagree with what you were saying about this is a good team to showcase that you can control a match against. I agree we should have more control than we had in this match. But I also think I am for... I think this is a match where it makes sense to play the ball over the top a lot um, more than you, you might otherwise do against, like, a Wolves. I, I think, but, but I think you can, you can do get that really with big more, chances from that.
1: I think you can do yeah. that with more control.
0: I agree. I agree, and I don't think we disagree about this. We we've
1: played, we've we've recorded a few episodes about the trade offs of decision making in, in possession when you're up one nil and how that's different. I think in this case. There were many situations where I think being nil-nil with 10 men could warrant less of the risk taking. Like, I I thought United were putting a lot of pressure on themselves by just lumping the ball away, even even though they had 10 men. But I, I get why you're saying you don't think this match was that bad, even though I thought the first half hour was a bit more, I guess, nothing we didn't know before, but just not great.
0: Yeah, I think if the technical execution had been better and a little of the decision making had been better, we probably would have been up like two or three nil. Honestly, like, it so, yeah. Anyway, anything else to say about this match? The you know the red card happens. No, it's good. I don't Let's really think Fulham. it's that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so in between Fulham and this match, we had sort of a Dead disappointing. River, line. Yeah, the thing is, we fielded like a very strong lineup. I do think we need to talk about fatigue at some point. We don't have to do it right now. Yeah,
1: we'll get we'll get there.
0: In Sevilla. Should didn't play as well as we should have. Rashford scores like honestly, a goal that you could argue was against the run of play. It's a dead fixture, whatever. We'll we'll, we'll talk about fatigue. I think that's really the only thing that's relevant about that match. Fulham. This is the performance that was really bad. Aaron actually watched this. Aaron and I actually watched this match together. Bad, man. Bad. What do what what do you have to say, Aaron? All I can do is shake my head here.
1: I think you take a lot of the issues we've been talking about, gradually throw in some personnel issues, and then top it off with some bad play in possession, like genuinely just bad. Um, add a little bit of Fulham's better than Southampton, and that's pretty much where you are with this, like. It was a match where United were making bad decisions in possession, losing the ball. I think partially because Casemiro was out. They were defending transitions poorly after losing the ball. McTominay was all over the place in this game. Um, I think Varane was also out. That definitely also is a, is a bit of a hit when you're defending transitions. All of that added together and... I mean, it's, it's okay for us to say, like, this team is a pretty good out-of-possession team. We have excellent individuals who are good enough to make the top four. In possession, sometimes as a team, things don't click. And the balance of that is you're winning most of your games. Make the team vulnerable in defensive transitions and take away the best players who make these games in possession. And what you have is just a team that's not that good. And I think that's what played out in this full match. And it might be because, you know, not all of the best players were out. Like Bruno played. Rashford played.
0: Lissandro played.
1: Lissandro played and was and was pretty good. Um
0: Shaw played. I, I don't know, man. This lineup is pretty strong.
1: So, <laughs> like, so I'm not I'm not saying that like United didn't field a strong team, but I think the execution was just not there at all. Um, I less so Lissandro and Shaw, more so I think Bruno and Rashford. I think a lot of it comes down to the deep midfielders. Um, Sibitzer is not bad, but I think he... I don't think he fixes the issues. I think, I, he I think he's a bad is combo there. with
0: McTominay. Because I don't... He's not like a... He does things well when he does get the ball, but he like doesn't really come for the ball a lot. He kind he of disappears yeah, a
1: lot. He doesn't raise the technical floor of the team. He kind of just keeps it. Is good enough to play for a team of this level technically. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I I agree. I agree. I I thought he was good in this match actually. I did too. Just, yeah, yeah. It's just
1: he just doesn't fix the it's issues. It's such like, a bad
0: combo with McTominay. I re- yeah, he doesn't fix the issues. But like McTominay and him is such a nasty midfield. And that has let like obviously less to do with him, but um, I, I also think this is a, a bad Rashford match. Like I I don't think he yeah, acquitted I, himself well.
1: Well that's what that's what I was getting at.
0: Yeah, I, I think his like every, his decision making is so bad. And and like he gets away with it because he's otherwise so good, but it's it's hard to avoid sometimes. Like Maguire Wambasaka is just like not a good in in 2023, it's it's pretty bad that both of those guys are still playing uh, minutes. For Basically,
1: yeah, with Maguire, you we United were running into this weird problem where I think what Varane does is he kind of scans and then just lays the ball off to someone beside him, which is not ideal, obviously. But I think Maguire will very often try to force a progressive pass, which is not what you want to do when you're the center back against a team that's trying to cut out your passes and essentially create a 3v2 um against you.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's another like concern is we really couldn't play out of like play through Fulham in this match. And it's not even like they were pressing like very intensely. They just structurally this back this back 6 could not could not break this press. Um I'm
1: partially worried but also partially not, because I'm not surprised. Like, if you look at the personnel, it's De hey Gea Maguire's been struggling at right center back all season. Juan Bissaka and McTominay. Like, what are we really doing here? Like, why isn't... For example, why isn't Dalo playing these games? Like, this is something that's definitely bothered me. Dalo is clearly the better player. Like, I'm sorry.
0: I, I don't want to get combative about it, but, like, it's not close and like like you're taking
1: one of united's probably you know what no no you're taking united's third best player from deep at playing out of a press and you're replacing him with united's worst player at playing out of a press like that is going to have adverse effects and they will play out over a large period of matches and when united first put wambasaka on the team they were playing teams where they did not have to play out of difficult presses and so everything was fine and now everyone thinks this isn't an issue so that when you play these better teams, people think it's not the problem because they're like, well, we just won 10 games. Where was this issue then?
0: Yeah, I broadly agree. I think Aaron and I have been lucky enough to be privy to the opinions of some people who are a lot smarter than us and are a lot more qualified than us and who actually work at clubs. People who work in football think this... Debate is a joke. Like if you talk if you talk to people who have jobs at big European clubs, the Wambasaka Dalo thing is not a thing. It's like a, it's like something to chuckle about. And and so like that's why we are so dismissive when we have this conversation on the podcast. And I don't want people to think we're laughing at them. Yeah, it's it's Okay.
1: Okay. No, no. Like, okay. I don't want to make it seem like this is some you need to talk to people who know a lot about the game to understand this. That's not what I'm. That's not
0: what I'm saying. I'm just saying you don't need to take our word for it. Other people are saying. Other people who know more than we do are saying this as well.
1: Um, I'm saying. I think in general, when you. There are things that Wan-Bissaka is better at than Dalo, okay? Wan-Bissaka is a better 1v1 defender than Dalo, 100%. I'm not denying that, right? And I think where my point of contention comes at is I fundamentally believe that the things that Dalo is better at than Wan-Bissaka are the more important aspects of playing right back for this Manchester United team. Yes. And I think that's where the point of disagreement comes. Like, you don't need to be any level of sophisticated level of football watcher. Like, I think most people on the on, in the football world, most fans, I'd say 90% of the people listening to this podcast will agree with me when I say Dalo is better on the ball than Wabasaka. He's a better dribbler, he's a better passer, he's a better carrier.
0: I do think, like, it's more than that, though. He's not just better on the ball. He's quite good on the ball even relative to other right backs in the world and Wambasaka is very bad on the ball compared to other right backs in the world even with the noted improvement that he's made this year so so like that's that's why i bring in the outside opinion that's because those statements i think to a lot of people seem big i really don't think they're big i don't think they should be controversial at all Yeah, that's it.
1: Okay, yeah, I'm good with that. Anyway, I think the point is, if you slowly chip at the personnel in this team, eventually cracks will show in your ability and possession, regardless of how the team is coached. I think what we've seen and what we've talked about a lot this season is how Ten Hag has adjusted how United play to fit to the demands of the first team. I think eventually, if you just take enough chips at the team, it's just not that good of a team anymore. And you're just not going to win that many games. And the the 11 that played against Fulham, I agree with you that there were some really good players in there. Like, I think Lissandro Shaw, you know, Sibitzer is good enough. Um, Rashford, Bruno, Sancho, anthony they all played this game. But I just think you're completing the team with people who cannot yeah. carry out the demands that this game specifically calls for. And 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 not being able to do it is costly, right? Not being able to do it against a Fulham team means transitions directly at your goal. It doesn't mean losing the ball innocuously and them like fumbling around to a nil-nil. Teams in the top half, or even in the top half of the bottom half of the Premier League, will punish you for making mistakes playing out of the back and losing the ball.
0: Yeah, so when you first said that, I'm going to guess it was like 10 minutes ago. We've been talking about Fulham for 10 minutes, I think. I, I thought it was a bit of an oversimplification. Since then, I've watched the first 10 minutes of the Fulham match again. Uh, you are correct. It's playing out exactly as you were talking about. It's basically the first 10 minutes of United trying to build out and failing to build out. And for the most part, it's because the Pivot are kind of ghosting, in particular, McTominay. And it's making United go down the wings... And things really bottleneck on the left, and then on the right, the technical execution isn't there. Yeah, that's that's basically exactly what you just described, so I'm going to stop disagreeing. Yeah, this is kind of comical. It's just proving your point. I'm staring at my monitor for those who, who can't see. Um, I'm leaving this in. I'm Aaron, leaving Aaron, 100% of this is yeah. saying
1: they wanted us to disagree more.
0: I tried, guys. I tried to dis- listen. To I
1: edit the podcast. If you ever notice that we only ever leave the ones in where I'm right. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, this is pretty okay. I think let's move on. I think we're now in agreement here. Um, let's. I think let's take a break, and uh, then we'll come back, and we will talk about. We will talk about what are we going to talk about? Transfers. We will talk about transfers. Ooh, <laughs> everybody's favorite topic. <laughs> All right, see you guys in a minute.
1: Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J Connor on Twitter. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.